When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. All right, everyone, we're back here with the Tactical Yanks podcast, and today... We have a very exciting episode. We're going to be talking about the UEFA Champions League, some USMNT transfers. We're going to do a quick preview of Morocco as well. But obviously, if you're interested in that, we've done in-depth previews at Tactical Manager TV and at 11 Yanks YouTube channels with even Pete even brought a great guest. But before we start anything, Pete, you're recovering from COVID. How are you feeling today? Uh, still very weak. Uh, a couple of people commented in the, the Morocco preview that I did that I was a little... Uh congested sounding I, I think i still sound a little bit congested but my fever is gone um so on the recovery now getting better getting better yeah, every day but we still force you to come along <laughs> no it's all good i would get <laughs> bored if i didn't do anything so yeah, i think by right. wednesday when the game is on i will be back hopefully in full swing of things oh you will we still got two more nights of sleep and a full day you'll be fine by then if not if anything you'll be a little bit better than what you are right now and boy the the champions league this weekend uh the game might have not been as exciting as we expected right mm-hmm. but in terms of quality tactically and 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 how the coaches play the game and the quality overall of the player i actually enjoyed it uh, in that yeah. sense right as a fan but why don't we, you want to just dive into it right away? Yeah, yeah. Let's dive into it right away. We're not going to waste you guys' time very much today. So over the weekend, Real Madrid defeated Liverpool in the final once again. Just they did in 2018. This time we didn't have Carius help Real Madrid or Garrett Bale come in in the second half and score a bicycle kick. But, <laughs> but Real Madrid defeated Liverpool 1-0. And Pete, it just kind of seemed like it was the same story for Real Madrid in every single knockout round. It almost seemed like Real Madrid got outplayed in every single round. But they won. And to be quite honest, even though they got outplayed many times, I've been saying this for a while, I kind of think they deserved it. Yeah, I 100% agree. And you and I both said before this final, Real Madrid would win. Now you can look at you can point to their goalkeeper, right, Thibaut Courtois, the Belgian, and be like, if not for him, they wouldn't have won. That is true. If not for Trent Alexander Arnold, the best right back in the world, falling asleep at the far post and allowing Vinny Junior to tap in, they wouldn't have won. You can go over all the reasons, but ultimately, the story of Real Madrid's Champions League is this: they don't need to control the game. They control the result. And that is where I think, and I think this is relevant for what's going to happen in this World Cup. I don't think teams that want to endlessly boss possession and control the game endlessly 
are going to have the most success in the World Cup. I think teams that understand their strengths and are willing to adapt to the game state and adapt to the opponent and play in transition and defend when they need to and play smart are going to have more success in this World Cup. And I think we're seeing this more and more in the global game that for all the ideologues, the people who are like, the game has to be this way, it might be beautiful to watch, it might be entertaining, it might even be good for player development. But ultimately, when it comes to knockout competitions, it's managing the moment that counts. And that is something that Carlo Ancelotti and Real Madrid have done so, so well this entire campaign. I also love the fact that they debunked two theories that the nerds, the soccer nerds love, right? No disrespect to soccer nerds, because I know there's many of you out there, um, <clears throat> including maybe ourselves too. We might yeah, I think we're soccer that. nerds. <laughs> yeah, but essentially what I want to get with this is two things. One is Real Madrid. And I apologize if you guys hear some noise here because there's a construction on the neighbor. So that might happen throughout the podcast. And I apologize. But one thing Real Madrid debunked right away was this Real Madrid team, they don't press. They really don't press. Um, I know they've scored some goals with Benzema pressing goalkeepers. That has happened with Mendy and Dandoruma, right? Yeah. But they're not a pressing team. And you can look that on numbers, statistics. And you, you can see it in the game. You can see it in the game, but you can also see it on numbers. This is not a pressing team. And, and people had this idea that the only way to play nowadays, because of the success of recent German coaches with um, yeah. Klopp, Tuchel, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, many others too, that the way to go is you need to press, press, press. And obviously in possession, you can hold your time like RB Leipzig plays nowadays. But Real Madrid doesn't press, and they won. Yeah. And the second thing they debunked, Pete, and this one you're going to love because I know you love this one very much. Real Madrid... In every single round of the knockout rounds, right? I'm not going to go to the group stage where they even lost the Sheriff, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, Real Madrid, in every single round of the knockout round, they lost in XGs to all opponents, PSG, Chelsea, Manchester City, and Liverpool. And that didn't matter, right? And that's why I keep saying that XG stats are very useful. You can use it as a coach. To know also how much your team's creating, if they're making the right runs, if the decision's right. Because to score, you need to create. You can't score if your XG is zero. So yeah. you do need to create. But the most important part is understanding the the how good your team can be. And like you talked about with Real Madrid, they're completely comfortable because of the goalkeeper they have, the defense they have, of allowing the opponent to create, allowing the opponent to play, and only going in transit sometimes in transition but they realize that they don't need to create many opportunities to score and Ancelotti was like let's embrace that let's play that way Vinicius yeah. Benzema they don't need many chances you give them a few it's going to happen and they're dangerous players and that's how they played so it just comes to show that XGs are useless into determining who's a better player who's a better team they're good for analysis but they don't determine anything and I I'm just going to give one example we'll go back to this game too of what happened in the game Palmeiras won the last two Libertadores, giving possession to the opponent, losing in XG in the, both semifinals and both finals that they won. They lost in XGs to River Plate, Atletico Mineiro, Flamengo. They lost, but they won the game. Yeah. It, and, and you saw this too, the Palmeiras and Chelsea. The coach understood the strengths of the team and he adjusted that. So that's a coach for knockout rounds, right? When Palmeiras played Chelsea, he knew, I'm not going to hold possession against Chelsea. I'm not going to outplay this team. Let's yeah. hold our own, be compact. And then when he felt like Chelsea was like stumbling and feeling the goal, he put the team to attack. And Ancelotti is absolutely fantastic in that and just understanding 
that you don't have to be ashamed of bunkering. You don't have to be always playing one way. Pep no. has only one way. Klopp only has one way to play, for being quite yes, honest. Pep and Klopp both. Yeah. And, um, and look, it's, you know, Jose Mourinho said 10 years ago that the future of football is transitions. And I think that we're starting to see that come through more and more. Look at how France won the last World Cup, right? They were pretty much a transitional team. I didn't mean they're a bunker and counter team, but they're not an endless possession tiki-taka team, okay? That, that era is over. It, for winning knockout competitions, my opinion, that tiki-taka era, the pressing, all of that, the Barcelona, Pep Guardiola, all of that, I just don't think it's going to happen anymore. Teams have figured out how to stay compact, to deny you space, to really be able to use it well, and then hit you quickly on the counter, you know, and transition teams are having more and more success. And I think, like I said, we're going to see this in Qatar, but also the understanding of space. This is what I love about Carlo Ancelotti is he's not an ideologue, right? He doesn't have a philosophy is this is how you must play. He looks at the players he has and he goes, okay, what is the best way to get the most out of these players? Also, you know how everyone says the 10 is dead? You can't play with a 10 anymore? Isn't Luka Modric still de denying? Now, I know he's not a pure 10 in the sense that people think about it, but he's a creative attacking midfielder, and he's so, still so good on the ball. I want to add one thing to what you're saying there to back it, too. When the game started, I don't know how many people noticed this. Real Madrid wasn't playing on a 4-3-3. They were playing on a 4-2-3-1 yes. with Modric as the 10. And then obviously Ancelotti was seeing the struggle of, of Casemiro on the ball. Casemiro, as good as he was defensively, he was struggling on the ball. So in Tony Cross wasn't doing the job alone. So he pulled Modric back. But originally, Ancelotti did have Modric as a pure 10. Yeah. And some games he did too. And and you can still have your 10 defend. Like the idea that a 10 can't drop back and help defend is just not true. And Modric has showed that many times this season, you know, dropping into their block to defend when they need to. But the idea that you know, you need box-to-box -box midfielders only and no more creative tens is just not true. I really don't buy this myth that's being perpetuated. And people's understanding of a 10, I think, is based on the Juan Riquelme style of 10, where he never defended, or Ronaldinho, you know, who would just run, do whatever they want with the ball, no discipline, you know, not didn't really have to defend much. That That is true. That does not really exist more. But the idea that a creative attacking midfielder is out of date or, or not useful anymore, I don't buy it. I think it's also part of the evolution of the game. And, and it's very easy to see what's happening because you can just look at the past of soccer. Uh, I can't go too deep. I don't know the 50s. And obviously, I wasn't alive in the 60s either. But in the 60s, you had this soccer game where tactics weren't very strong right? It was kind of just like the best players versus the best players. And that's why Brazil was so dominant in that era. Brazil had the best players. There weren't many tactics. And they would go there and Pele would score three goals and win the game and game over. Yeah. But then in 1974, a little bit before that, right? In the Champions League, Ajax already revolutionized with the total mm -hmm. football or total football. Um, and in 74, that was introduced to the world when they saw this total football style of play from, from the Dutch team. They lost the mm -hmm. World Cup, but they revolutionized soccer forever. Yeah. And time went on. People caught on to how to defeat that team. The Germans figured it out, and Argentina kind of rigged it. And then in the 80s, Brazil brought the Joga Bonito back. Remember the 82-86 Brazil team with Zico? Everyone just wanted Brazil to win because it was so enjoyable. But they couldn't win. People knew how to defeat that. Kind of like how you're talking about the tiki-taka nowadays. Yeah. The tiki-taka is beautiful. It's, 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 it's why we call it the beautiful game. It's the way Pep likes to play. But 
that doesn't mean that's going to bring in results. Like the, I think Brazil from 82, my dad used to say this or still does. I, I need to ask him. He always says that's like the best team I've ever seen. And then I ask him, what do they win? Nothing. They won nothing. They lost yeah. to Italy. I think it was Paulo Rossi. And the Tiki Taka is that, right? And yeah. then and then if you go to the 90s, uh, you saw like a, a very boring Brazil win the World Cup in the US and things like that. So it's part of the evolution of the game. And Carlo Ancelotti knows how to adjust. A guy like Pep Guardiola, as good as he is and how much he understands, he it's almost it almost seems like his stubbornness is his downfall. Yeah, and he's a micromanager, right? He has to have control. You you see this when you I've read books about Pep. You see him on the sidelines. You watch these documentaries, the one at Manchester City. He has this vision of the game that is so perfect in his head, and he needs to have complete control. He's a micromanager. Klopp is the same way, maybe not as extensively as uh, as you know Pep, but they're micromanagers. Ancelotti understands the value of trusting his players. If you have good players, all these guys are experienced, you know, Modric, Benzema, Cruz, all of, like they know what they're doing. You, you give them tactics for sure. You have a play, you, you, you know, you have a, a system of play, but you also trust your players. You trust them. You believe in them. You put them in positions to help them succeed. And it goes a very, very long way. And he is the number one coach in the world for Champions Leagues now. He has four Champions League titles. Nobody, not Zidane, not Guardiola, not Bob Paisley, not Alex Ferguson. Nobody has as many as Ancelotti does. And with different teams too, right? One with AC yeah. Milan, one with Real Madrid. So, so people don't think that, oh, he just won four in a row because he had a... Yeah. No, that's not what no, happened. No, Zidane, twice with AC Milan in two different eras and then yeah. twice with Real Madrid in two different eras. They weren't yes. back-to-back. Yeah, and Zidane, on the other hand, the three that he won was with that superb Real Madrid team that what that I mean it's kind of like part of this one I guess this one still yeah. has the heart of that team yeah. but he still had this team with a younger Modric and Cristiano Ronaldo with Benzema up top so yeah and Real Madrid has more Champions Leagues than anybody they have 14 now yeah I think the next one is Liverpool um isn't it AC Milan oh it's AC Milan they have eight right I think it's AC Milan. Then Barcelona's probably up there too with Liverpool. Barcelona doesn't actually have that many. Mm. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is right now for sure. But but again, just so we can wrap up the, the Champions League talk, Real Madrid wins their 14th Champions League out of 17 finals that they have made. Wow. Um, they are definitely the kings of Europe in winning. This team knows how to win, right? Yeah. And and again, it's it's interesting because they faced Liverpool, which is also a team that knows how to win. But again, two finals, two wins. And now Liverpool is going to enter a rebuilding mode. Uh, yeah. Sadio Mane's out. Real quick, I just looked this up. So Real Madrid is 14. The next one is AC Milan with seven. After that, it's Liverpool with six, Bayern with six, Barca has five, Ajax has four, Man U has three, Inter has three, Chelsea has two. So nobody's even close to Real Madrid. There are mm -hmm. half as many Champions League as the next one. No, I don't think in our lifetime someone's going to ever catch up. No, I'll be very surprised. Newcastle. <laughs> They'll win, what, they're going to win 14 in a row? They're going to spend $15 billion a year on players. <laughs> they're going to they're, they're gonna just, they're just going to buy Real Madrid. Whoever Real Madrid buys, they're just going to buy the whole team. And I was like, okay. And they have the same colors. So it's not same colors, similar colors, not the same. Similar colors. Um, no, it's amazing. Yeah. But, I want to get to USMNT transfer talks, but before we do that, I want to go through our sponsor real quick. And is the noise of the construction bothering that much? 
I can't hear anything. You can't hear it? So, yeah, it's just me hearing it. But once again, thank you very much, DraftKings, for sponsoring here the podcast. And, you know, the NBA playoffs are still going on, and we finally reached the final where the Golden State Warriors will face the Boston Celtics. And it's DraftKings Sportsbook is the official sports betting partner of the NBA. So download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. That is TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team or Celtics in the Warriors probably the Celtics, NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's the promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So once again, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. And thank you very much, DraftKings, for sponsoring this podcast. And Pete, you're not watching the NBA Finals, are you? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'll, I'll bet some money on... I'm going to go with the Celtics, but but regardless, that's not what this podcast is about. Um, and I also am pretty bad at basketball. I really just watch it for the fun of it. I, I, I'm kind of ignorant towards it. But USMNT transfers. There's a couple of things to talk about. I think three main ones that we wanted to talk about is Brendan officially goes to Leeds. Tyler could leave Leipzig. We'll talk about that. And it looks like Gaga Slonina has offers from every single club in Europe at this point. <laughs> Um, I, I might even find out that I might have made an offer for Gaga Sonina. Who knows? Yeah, you might be able to afford him too. <laughs> yeah, the way they're charging, you might be able to. It's coming out pretty cheap for the potential he has. Regardless, let's start with the one that has actually happened. Brendan Aronson is officially a Leeds United player. I think it was for around 24 million pounds, which is yeah, 28 million euros, $30 million. A lot of money that they paid. Uh, Brendan goes to the Premier League to play for a coach that very much likes him. I have mixed feelings of this transfer. I don't know why. Um, mm. A little, I am trying to be optimistic about it. It can work. I just don't see it. I'll let you talk first. I'll let you take it first. Well, the first thing to keep in mind is this isn't a Jesse Marsh transfer. Despite the fact that he is American, it's, it's natural to think, oh, they brought him in because of Jesse Marsh. Brendan Aronson was a target. Uh, back in January, when Bielsa was still there, remember when we were in um, in Kansas, we had to address this rumor. Yeah, but uh, how so much do you think that was already them lining up for Jesse to take over during the summer? Um, I don't know because Bielsa wasn't. I don't know. Maybe, he, maybe his contract that, expired, maybe. and they were there was already rumors of Marsh going. Yeah, maybe. I but... think it could have been something that uh, sure Bielsa definitely wanted too because they did try to get him in January already. But it looked like it was more of a signing just like they were set. Because remember, also, the rumors for Jesse coming to Leeds were started in January. But but remember, they buy Brendan Aronson because the, he does exactly what Bielsa wanted. Mm -hmm. He's a pressing merchant, right? He, I think there was a there was a, a stat that came out that he was like the third in ground covered of all players in Europe or something crazy like that. Per, or top 1% per, or something. It was super top high. Top 1%. So when they're looking at players that fit the, their model of play, and it's the same reason they hired Jesse Marsh. Now, he's not Bielsa, but in terms of the pressing work off the ball, they have different <laughs> styles, right? So Bielsa has this man-to-man -man press. And Jesse does a more of a ball-oriented press, but they are very heavy pressing teams. So it makes sense that you want a player who is going to do that. Right? He fits the style of play. The other thing that I think Brendan is good at, and I think this will actually benefit him at Leeds, is he's very good in transition. Right? If you're asking Brendan Aronson to break down a low block, that probably isn't his strength. 
But if you can get him out in space in transition, he's a very good passer of the ball. He's a good dribbler. He understands space very well. More often than not, he'll make the right decision. This is how he got two assists against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. So Leeds are probably going to be playing a lot in transition next year, right? They're, they're not a good team, right? They barely escaped relegation. They're probably going to lose one or two of their better players. We'll see if Rafinha goes. That's where I think Brendan Aronson is going to be good. The question that I have is, is he going to get any time on the ball, I guess, is my concern. Is he just going to be a runner, basically a pressing body for them? If he went to a place like AC Milan, you would have more opportunities to improve on the ball, right? To improve technically, to have reps in and around goal, because that is a dominant team in their league. Leeds is not. They are an underdog that's going to try to out-hustle everybody else. And so that is kind of my question for Brendan Aronson, as well as where is he going to play? Is he going to play on the wings if Rafinha leaves? Let's say it's him and Jack Harrison. Is he going to play in the middle instead of Rodrigo? I, I don't really know how this is going to work, but I'm very curious. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think personally it will probably be Rodrigo that he'll replace because Rodrigo definitely doesn't really fit the system they want. Rafinha can still press. Jack Harrison can – Rodrigo not – at least from what I've noticed, right? I'm no Leeds expert. And again, I but agree with Rodrigo that. Rodrigo really a forward? He's usually a center forward, but they play him as a like a 10 shadow striker. That's usually how he plays for Leeds. But with Patrick Bamford there, I don't think they would ever play Rodrigo as a forward anymore because he was injured, yeah. Patrick Bamford. But with him coming back, and there's rumors he gets another forward or they're buying another forward. I don't know who. I guess it depends really on how Brendan is – Where the, who leaves? I think it's the yeah, main thing. That's who leaves. If Rafinha leaves, they're going to have to fill that. Are they going to sign someone or Brendan's going to have to slide there? Maybe Jesse will change the formation. Again, my fear is what you said of him not having much time on the ball and somewhat become like how Josh Sargent was for, for Norwich. Just run, 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 hustle, 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 press, 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 try to fight for a ball. And, and then you just don't really play soccer. You're just playing kickball and running. And that could happen. Yeah, that's the concern. That's the main concern with Brendan. But the other one, staying with Leeds, the other one's Tyler Adams. And he could leave Leipzig. Personally, I do think he should leave Leipzig. Not to Leeds personally, but uh, specifically, but I do think he should leave Le Le uh, Leipzig for many reasons we've talked about, right? How he doesn't fit the new Red Bull system at Leipzig that Julian Nagelsmann implemented, and that's how they want to go about it. He just becomes a utility player at this point. But looking at it, Leeds United, I, I, I don't see it going well. Tyler going there. Tyler's big weakness is on the ball, right? He's not a very good player on the ball. And they have Calvin Phillips, who I don't think, and, and English fans might get upset at me, but I don't think Calvin Phillips is much better defensively than Tyler Adams. I think they're very similar. But when it comes to being on the ball, Calvin Phillips is very, very good compared to Tyler Adams. Yeah. So if Calvin Phillips leaves, there's some you know speculation that Manchester City wants him. I don't think he's a Manchester City-level player, in my opinion. But maybe he's a slight upgrade to Fernandinho. I don't know. I don't know what's happening with Calvin Phillips. If Calvin Phillips is there, Tyler Adams will not play. Unless Jesse Marsh wants to use him as an eight, which would be madness, in my opinion. Just a pressing merchant again. I don't want to see that. Uh, I think Tyler... So there are rumors, though, that Conrad Leimer is leaving and going to Bayern Munich. If he leaves and they don't replace him, Tyler Adams will get a lot more time in that Leipzig midfield. But if he's going to leave... I'd rather he go to Benfica or a place like Ajax where, A, 
he will be in a Champions League team still, but B, he'll, he'll get a lot more time on the ball and a lot more opportunities in possession to improve his work on the ball. Yeah, also, I do think they likely will try to replace Leimer. Uh, Leipzig is clearly letting some guys go. I heard Dominic Sanosblai, too, um, which is a very good player, by the way. He's going to Real Sociedad. Leimer looks like he's going to go to Bayern Munich, I believe. I think they're going to replace players because this is a team that they don't have financial problems and they have big ambitions. Yeah, And their ambitions of winning Bundesliga, they want to do that. They've said it. I don't think you're going to win Bundesliga with Tyler being your starting central midfielder. No. Um, I don't think it'll happen. Well, c- could you win Bundesliga with Tyler Adams being a utility player? Yes. Sure. And that's how they probably see him. So, and I've heard also that people, some people inside, right, uh, that are close to Tyler Adams' camp, that Tyler Adams and his camp won a go to the Premier League. That's what I've heard. So if so they want to go to up at Leeds, <laughs> yeah, if he wants to go to the Premier League and they want to force their way to that, it's probably going to be Leeds. Let's cut the nonsense of Arsenal. The way Arteta wants to play, that's not Tyler no. Adams' team. But then um, again, neither does Matt Turner. Matt Turner doesn't fit that way at all either. But he's just a backup. Yeah, but it's like they didn't. Do you, okay, I know we're, we're picking daisies. Do you think they bought Matt Turner because they looked at him and said, if something happens to Ramsdale, this guy fits how we want to play? No, he or, might even be the third option. What? He might even be the third option. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, we'll see if Bern Leno goes. Is it confirmed that he's leaving? I thought it was, but I don't know. Maybe they have an academy player or something. Who knows? Yeah, I'm a little concerned about that transfer. But yeah, look, he's not going to Arsenal, guys. I would be very surprised. And if he does go to Arsenal, I I don't understand how he's going to fit into how Mikel Arteta wants to play. It's a cronky move. Cronky's doing the moves. Oh, God. Well, Austin Trusty. That's another Arsenal move. Remember That's him? an Arsenal player, yeah. It's an Arsenal player as of this summer. Yeah, I mean, I could, in some ways, I would enjoy the concept of having three Americans at one team in the Premier League, right? Marsh, Adams, and Aaron. It would save together. us time, right? Watching games. It would be a lot of fun. We could do more live streams of Leeds, but would that be the best thing for Tyler's career? I don't think so. We'll also, see Pete, if, if they do sign, let's say, Tyler Adams. They signed, they had Brendan, they signed another American, Mihailovic was linked or whatever. If they sign all these Americans and they get relegated, you know who's getting blamed. The yeah. Americans. It's the all American. the Americans. It's their fault. So, yeah. And one American that they, I mean, I don't think he fits the way Jesse wants to play in a certain way. I'm just surprised John Brooks hasn't been linked to Leeds. I mean, he's a free agent. I'm surprised yeah. that hasn't happened. But, but there's no way because he wants to press high. Yeah. And then there's that's no Brooks's weakness. If they, Honestly, if, if he chose to bunker and play in transition, Brooks would have been a perfect fit for this team. But the last one, Pete, is Gaga Sonina. And there's a lot of talks of him. It looks like he's going to sign with a club. And I heard three million pounds, which is not a lot. It's like five million dollars. It's really not a lot for a prospect, especially for teams like Real Madrid, Chelsea, teams that he's being linked to. That's that's like pennies for them. It yeah. doesn't matter. Just see it this way. Um, I can look at the actual fee, but Real Madrid, when they signed Vinicius Jr., he was um, an academy player. He was an academy player. And they paid for him. Let me give the exact fee that they paid so I don't get this wrong. They paid $50 million. So that means they really believed in this player's potential. 
I yeah. actually didn't believe that much on Vinicius, but he proved me wrong for sure. And yeah. clearly Real Madrid knew what they were doing. But they're paying three to five million on Gaga Sonina. To me, this is quite clear the move. We've seen Chelsea do this in the past, many others. They sign a bunch of good prospects for cheap. They get a budget of like 40, 50 million and sign 10 players. And what they are hoping out of those 10 players that one works out. And that looks like what's they're trying to do with Gaga Sonina right now. Yeah, I mean, this is your Matt Miazga to Chelsea sort of style move. You know, Palmer what I mean? Brown to Manchester City. Eric Palmer Brown to Manchester City. Even Cameron Carter. Well, Cameron Carter Vickers came out of Tottenham's Academy, so that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, actually, they got him from Swan. No, they loaned him out to Swansea. He came out of their academy. The point is, they don't buy these guys because they believe in them, not for those prices. That's a Hail Mary. Hey, we got $3 million to spend. If he doesn't pan out, it's okay. It's, you know, no real loss. And if he becomes even a decent goalkeeper, we can still sell him at a profit five years down the line. Um, and if by, you know, the 1% chance that he becomes a top three, four, five keeper in the world, great. We got the, one of the best keepers in the world for 3 million. So my concern, I, I actually don't mind that much uh, a transfer like that, so long as it involves at least two years back in Chicago, where he's going to be playing regularly as a loan. My concern is they go and put him in their B team, which is not the same level as playing in regular competition. And it's very hard for a goalkeeper to fight his way from a B team to the first team at a club like Real Madrid. They're going to buy the, you know, that Thibaut Courtois. They're going to get the next good goalkeeper in the world. They, 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 they kicked out Keylor Navas. Yeah, like they're not going to give their academy kid a chance unless he was, you know, Iker Casillas, right? So... I I don't want Gaga to do this unless it involves at least two more years of playing in Chicago. And then I think you'll see how much he's actually progressed and what his level is. Otherwise you can just get lost in a B team and play there forever and not really improve because the level of a lot of the competition, even if you play in, in the B league, the Spanish B league, right? The second division, I guess that is professional, but real Madrid, do you know where the Castilla team plays? Sometimes they are. I don't think they are in La Liga too right now. They probably got relegated. I think they're in La Liga check. three right now. Yeah, I can double check. But uh, for example, La Liga two. When I look at the standings, um, I don't see Castilla. I don't see them. So they probably got relegated to the third division. So no MLS is a lot better than the third division of Spain. There's no question about that. Um, the to play devil's advocate, the other side of it is well, he's going to be you know playing under some of the better coaches in the world right and hopefully learning to play with his feet uh, maybe improving technically there are some pros to it but at his age i think the pros of staying in chicago for a few more years and developing as a, as a goalkeeper getting reps he has to improve footwork positioning coming out for crosses reading of the game handling shot stopping there's so many things he needs to work on that i think he needs regular reps in a in a somewhat high pressure environment. I am a fan of him moving so long as it comes with some loans back to Chicago. Yeah, again, Real Madrid for them if they sign Gaga Sonina, if it confirms it was reported by Fabrizio Romano, by the way, so it's probably true. Usually yeah. he's pretty reliable. So if it does confirm, I can't see them playing Gaga Sonina ever unless they loan him out to like an, a, a Sevilla or another team. And he's like this world-class goalkeeper. Otherwise, we know what Real Madrid does. They just go there and they pay $50 million for 
Who's the best goalkeeper available? That guy, yeah. sign him. They, yeah. they they took Courtois from Chelsea. Yeah. Right? They they almost they didn't take De Gea from Manchester United because the fax was late. Remember that a couple years yeah. ago? So they'll just if you are not up there as a world class goalkeeper, and if you're playing for the B team, you're never gonna be world class during your time at the B team. For you to be yeah. world class, you gotta prove it against the big boys. So there's no way for him to prove it that in the B team. So the only way he would play for Real Madrid is if he got a loan somewhere when he's older, because he's not going to be world-class tomorrow, if yeah. he ever is. If right? he if ever, he ever, yeah. Uh, I'll just put it this way to add on. Uh, a goalkeeper like Tim Howard wouldn't meet Real Madrid's standards. No. Tim Howard. And so the question you all have to ask yourselves is, do you think Gaga Sonina is going to be better than Tim Howard? He can. I mean, who knows? He's only 18. It's possible. Yeah. But if he's Tim Howard's level, I'm already pretty freaking happy about that already. Yeah. But Real Madrid won't be. Real Madrid won't be. No. Yeah. And even Tim Howard didn't move to Manchester United until he was 24. And then he didn't make it at Manchester United. And at 27, went to Everton. And that's when, you know what I mean? He was six years older than Gaga Slonina when he went to a world-class club. And even then, he couldn't cut it there. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the goalkeeper that has record saves in World Cups. Um, we know. We don't have to talk about Tim Howard here. Yeah. Pete, before we wrap up this um, this podcast, quickly we'll talk about the Morocco game because there are, there are some updates to address. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we're not going to go in detail because, like I said, you guys can all go check 11 Yanks and Tactical Manager TV on YouTube. Pete did a preview with a guest. I did one on my own um, with my own research. So everything is there with visuals, etc. But here are a couple updates. A couple players that in the video we even mentioned. So Mazarawi, the right back, former Ajax, now Bayern Munich player, he's injured and he won't play against the US. Hakimi, their best player, PSG fullback, he apparently didn't travel um, with the team. That's what was yeah. reported yesterday. So right now we're under the we it's safe to assume that Mazarawi and Ziyech are out. That's pretty much confirmed. And Hakimi is as well. So they don't have their three best players. Yeah. That changes a lot, man. It does. Anyway. I mean, they still have some good players, but those three are, are a level apart, let's be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. their keeper is the Sevilla keeper. He's a good goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. And El Nesri, their forward. And, you know, Harit, who plays at Olympic Marseille. This is still better than anything you face in CONCACAF, okay? Um, maybe. No, they're better than Canada, too. So... It's still a good team, and it's still worth having this friendly. But, you know, it matters if your three best players aren't there. So going back to that, too, um, what happens is you want the national team to get a test against players that are either world-class or near that, right? When you look at a player, Hakimi's a world-class fullback. It would be nice for our team to face that a little bit. Ziyech, personally, I don't think he's world-class, but he's a very good elite Premier League player. Right, very good one. Mazarawi, uh, fantastic fullback for Ajax, and so we're not going to face all of that. Is now at Bayern Munich, and now Bayern Munich, right? So it's unfortunate it was going to be a good test, and obviously Uruguay also is not going to bring Suarez, for example, that has been confirmed. Bentancur won't be there, so yeah, we're going to face, we're not going to face these teams 100. But I do want to add one thing: usually in the World Cup, no one is 100. percent Mm-hmm. right teams lose players right france could go to the world cup and mbappe could be injured a week before and then they don't have mbappe all of a sudden they're going to go play and they're still going to be very good 
they're still going to be probably the best team. So, sure, it's a big loss that Morocco doesn't have three of their players. We're also not going to have all of our best players, right? Giovanni Reina is not there. Des is not there. Weston is not 100%. But, again, it, it's a good competition. We'll see what the team has to do. When we face Uruguay, we'll hopefully face Darwin, Nunes, and Cavani. That would be a good test already. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much it on my end about this preview. If they want to talk about lineups and everything, we kind of talked about that in the previous podcast. We talked about it on YouTube. So I think there's not much more to add. Is there? No, I think we covered it. Obviously, we're going to do the coverage, you know, on your channel. We're going to do watch along. I'll be there for halftime and the pregame. And then we'll do the postgame breakdown on my Mm -hmm. channel. All right. So, Pete, I'm going to. Wish that you a speedy recovery from COVID so you're back 100% on Wednesday for the games. This podcast is out on Tuesday. And I want to thank you all very much. If you listened all the way to the end and you haven't already, please drop a review if you haven't, of course. Thank you very much for watching, everyone. Have a blessed week. See you guys on the live watch-alongs at both channels. Ciao. Happy Memorial Day. I guess it's Tuesday when they listen to this. <laughs> yeah, but you can still send it. Bye-bye, guys. See ya.